0: Darker Days of Dorothy Gale, Aftermath, for Episode 43, Chapter 36, The Maddening of King Lorenz and the Murder of Lady Quinneth, and Cantos 26 and 27 of Dante's Inferno, Malibulge Ring 8. The Evil Counselors. Welcome back. Here we are yet again for a Two Canto episode. Lots of history in this one. I'm going to tell you all about Ulysses and Odysseus, and yeah, I know, they're one and the same. We're leaving the nightmarish serpents behind and getting back to basics here. Back to some good old-fashioned fire and brimstone all the while taking a look at the slobbish King Lorenz and the increasingly haggard Lady Quinneth. There's even some Pope talk here, because as we all know by now, Dante? Not too big on old Pope Boniface Eighth. There's wine, a fire demon, and murder. So let's get on with the show. In Canto 26, Dante and Virgil move into the eighth Bolgia of Malibolge. This is the Evil Counselors, or Counselors of Fraud. We leave behind the nightmares of the snakes and serpents and get back to what we might consider to be a more general and somewhat traditional hell. As I mentioned before, we're going to go back to the old fire and brimstone here. Here in the darkness, they see flames flickering. Virgil informs Dante that each flame is a sinner, and Dante notices a peculiar one that appears to be two sinners attached to each other. Virgil tells the poet that these two souls stuck together are those of Ulysses and Diomedes. They suffer here for the fraud they committed in the Trojan War. That whole horse thing. And running off with a statue of Athena or something. The belief being that she was the protector of Troy. And this statue somehow kept the city from being overtaken. But since these two hooligans took off with it, Troy became vulnerable and was uh, able to be taken, like like I just said. Anyways, Dante asks if he can speak with these two, but Virgil tells him, eh, that might not be the best idea. You see, Ulysses and Diomedes are Greek, and they might not look too kindly on Dante's medieval Italian dialect. But, have no fear, says Virgil, you wish to hear them, and hear them you shall he agrees to speak to them for Dante. Verge here gets old Yuli to speak of his death, tells the story of how he was hungry for adventure and sailed out and beyond the western edge of the Mediterranean. This was thought to be the edge of the old flat earth. It was said that Death liked to hang out here as well, just kind of waiting for anyone foolish to sail that far. It's worth noting here that this appears to be an invention of Dante. Seems he wanted to hang with the big boys like Homer. If Homie can spin a yarn about Ulysses with the Odyssey and the Iliad, then Dante could do the same. Though Dante's story of Odysseus, I mean, Ulysses, I mean, whoever you want to call him, it's not quite as grand as Homer's. Some say the punishment for these sinners in this area... The whole being-hidden-in-their-own-flames thing represents the harmful nature of their actions and the negative impact of their words. My trusty, well-read copy of Cliff's Notes that I keep handy in my backpack, as though I couldn't just go to a website these days, says this. The retribution that the sinners of the eighth chasm suffer fits with the sin that they perpetrated in life. They gave evil counsel, particularly to religious leaders, and therefore misused God's gifts. These souls worked in hidden ways, and they will spend eternity hidden from sight and burning in the flames that symbolize a guilty conscience. I don't know, probably a bit of both. Destructive natures, guilty consciences, you know, it kind of blends together, doesn't it? In Canto 27, Virgil and Dante here take their leave of Ulysses and find themselves in the presence of yet another damned soul. This one, hailing from Italy's Romagna, Or Romagna. I I don't know how to pronounce things. Let's move on. This fella, like so many others, is eager to hear about what's been going on up top in his homeland. This is Count Guido da Montefeltro. Let's try that again. This is Count Guido da Montefeltro. Let's try that again without the weird accent. This is Count Guido da Montefeltro. One of those has to be okay. Count Guido, uh, you know, this guy, was out chilling somewhere around 1223 and 1298. He was a military strategist that later became a friar. Dante held a certain level of disdain for Monty, for giving false counsel to Pope Boniface VIII. Bonnie VIII here just can't seem to escape the wrath of Dante. Anyways, old Bon Bon absolved Guido of his sins, but that's not enough to keep the G-Man out of hell. As we all know, just saying you're sorry isn't enough. Absolution means nothing without repentance. And Guido? Well, repent he did not. Also worth noting, Boniface absolved Guido for his sins Before he sinned, like if, say, I don't know, someone murdered a Black Lives Matter protester. And while he was on trial and being sentenced, Drake Abbott was all like, Don't worry, you killing machine. I'm going to forgive you on behalf of the state and try to get a pardon for you. Sorry for the politics, but you know what? Dante was a politician, and the Inferno is a universal tale of justice and retribution, so I feel at least a little justified in this case. But anyways, moving on. In Darker Days, I focus more on the sin than the sinner. I took the same approach for Chapter 27, Anastasius. I left out a lot okay, most of the Inferno, in favor of detailing the acts of violence when Tip and Jack fought off a roving group of bandits. Here, I'm focusing less on Dante's visuals and thematic symbolism and defining what evil counseling is, the devastation it can cause when successfully pulled off, and the world-altering ramifications. We return to a time before the wizard, before Joseph Smith, before Emerald was even Emerald. The disgustingly grotesque King Lorenz sits at a giant food-filled table, while the increasingly haggard Lady Quinnith looks out over the city of Antenora. The five daughters, Gratia, Vel, Eiffel, Dvorin, and Ozma show up with their adopted father, Lothor, bearing a gift of wine from the land of Idnus et Sa, or as L. Frank Baum would have called it, China Country. The king is always happy to see his children. It means they at least know who he is, and it's nice to be acknowledged sometimes. This moment is short. They pretty much just give him the wine and take their leave. Lothor is a perfect example of an evil counselor here. Though, as we've seen in previous chapters, it was not his idea to kill the king so early in the children's life. He still aids them and, in this case, encourages their actions. We also get a moment of sadness and pain from Gracia here. As they take their leave, Gracia longingly looks at her neglectful mother, wishing to hear her voice just once before her inevitable death. The king drinks the wine and is greeted by a fiery demon. This is more in line with Dante's vision, but only thematically or visually or. You get the idea. This isn't Ulysses telling the tale of his grand adventures that landed him in torment. Instead, this is a demon granting the king evil counsel, telling him that Lady Gwyneth hates him, that she wishes he was dead, that she thought he would be dead by now and she would be ruling. All of this fills the king with remorse and hatred for a loveless marriage and a lonely life. Lorenz is granted the gift of movement. Remember, he's a giant mass of lard and rolling flesh. He is not exactly mobile. But in this moment, he is almost able to glide across the room as he makes his way to his unsuspecting wife blade in hand he murders her and when he looks to the demon for approval he realizes it's gone and he is alone he lays down and dies leaving the kingdom in the hands of his daughters and lothor again this is more of a look at the sin than the punishment The fiery demon is clearly an homage to Dante's vision, but that's really the most significant similarity. It's not down in a dark valley. It's not Ulysses. We aren't discussing Troy. There's no real absolving of sins, like in the case of Montefeltro. I suppose you could make a slight argument that the king's demeanor and gratefulness to his daughters for the wine is a somewhat of a Boniface-Montefeltro type of pre-absolution for the children's sins, but I feel like that's a bit of a stretch, and it's not exactly what I was aiming for when I wrote it. So, you know, there you have it. If I missed something or failed to address something you feel I should have, or if I goofed on my summary of Dante's Inferno, which is always a possibility, let me know. I'm always open to questions, comments, or constructive criticism. You don't have to like this show. I'm not entirely sure why you're listening, if you don't, though. But, like it or not, you can be nice. I know you can. I believe in you. Because you're good enough. You're smart enough. And surely someone out there likes you. Or at least politely tolerates you. If you would like to get in touch with me, you can do that by emailing darkdaysofdorothygale at com. You can find me on Twitter, for the time being, and TikTok, until it gets closed down. The handle is at darkdorothyg. I don't do much on Twitter these days, though, so... You know, you you can go check it out if you want, but not a whole lot there. Alternately I appear on Twitter for now and TikTok until it gets shut down. And Instagram under the identity of at the Ordinary Sun. That's S U N. The Instagram feed actually has a lot of fun dark days themed artwork. And, of course, if social media isn't your jam, there's always the official Dark Days website, ddofdg.com. And no, 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 that's not Dark Days of Dollar General. You can also find links to t-shirts and stickers and stuff there as well. And I just put up a new section on the website, Listing a lot of my favorite sources for Inferno knowledge. It's not all my sources, but it's like most of them, and it's the best of them. Dark Days of Dorothy Gale used to be on Amazon as an ebook and in paperback form, but at the time of this recording, the only way to experience it is this podcast. If you would like to support the show, buying a t-shirt or a sticker or something is really the coolest way to go about it. If you want to support my specific brand of creativity in a more direct and financial way, you can find me at com slash ordinary sun. Again, that's S-U-N. And if you do, I will send you a personal handwritten thank you note, complete with a fun little sketch. And if you like, I'll even give you a shout out on this here obscure podcast. If you don't want to donate to this cause, that is totally A-OK. Times be tough, they be, and I'm happy to do this either way. So, come back next time for chapter 38, Vernon Howell. Thanks for listening. I love you all.